afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and we'll read that together. It's page 542 in the Book of Praise. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. And we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh with his body and blood as surely nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood, as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup. In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul, where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 to 17. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the church confesses that Christ has commanded all believers to celebrate the sacrament of Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. 
For many people, then, coming to the Lord's Supper table is a matter of obedience to this command. Yet at the same time, we, do not conf or we confess that we do not celebrate the sacrament in a merely outward, merely external, mechanical way. It is more than just a reaction to a command. It's also a thankful response to Christ's glorious work on our behalf. What motivates you to want to celebrate the sacrament of Lord's Supper? When you think about it, you will realize that you want to participate in the sacrament of Lord's Supper because you are hungry for the assurance of Christ's love, for confirmation of your salvation, for visible proof of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, Christ who is in heaven. In the Lord's Supper, we are given assurance that because of Christ's sacrifice, we, the church, are the bride of a husband who is in heaven. The church is the bride of a husband who is in heaven. We'll see the nature of this relationship, the reminders of this relationship, and the requirements of this relationship. When a husband and a wife love each other, it's very difficult for them to be away, even if it is just for a little while. Sometimes it happens that one of them has to travel to go on a business trip or to visit a, a family member who's working out of town. And when that happens, all the usual ways of, of showing tenderness and companionship are hindered by the distance. And it's more difficult to maintain the responsibilities that they have to one another. A wife might ask advice from her husband over the phone or a husband might express his love for his wife in an email or, or through Skype. But we can all agree that a long-distance relationship is, is not the same for people here on earth. In a certain sense, we can see that as it helps us understand that the picture that we also confess in Lord's Day 28. Christ is in heaven and we are on earth. It's a comparable situation. Scripture even compares the relationship of God and his church to a marriage. The book of Ezekiel speaks of God raising up for himself Israel, his special bride, in Ezekiel chapter 16. In Hosea, the Lord speaks of betrothing his people to himself forever in love and compassion. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11 that the first love of believers must be to Jesus Christ, whom he calls their husband. And then look at your catechism. Look at answer 76. Look how the church confesses. We use the words that Adam spoke concerning Eve to describe the relationship between Christ and his church. We say... We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. The relationship of, between Christ and his church is so strong that Paul said it is, it is good, even if believers do not marry, 
one another so that they can more fully focus on their bond with Christ who is in heaven. And then we think about the nature of this relationship. We think about how much our husband, how much Christ loves us. Since the beginning when men fell into sin, the Lord dedicated himself to the plan of, of saving fallen men. He moved whole nations so that we might be saved. He left the glory of heaven. We read about that in the Gospels. It describes that the Lord Jesus himself consoling us. He, he says he left the glory of heaven. He took on human flesh in, in all its, its weakness to be the cursed one. To suffer, to hunger, to thirst, to have sorrow, to experience pain, to be rejected for us, his bride. From the first day until the last, he took upon himself our curse. He underwent the bitter shame and anguish of hell. We confess that as surely as, as the cup is given to me, so surely was his body offered for me. His blood poured out for me on the cross. And his work brings wonderful blessings for the church. We see him also pour out his blessings upon us. If you look in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, we have a description of the Lord's the Lord Jesus' love for us, Ephesians 5, verse 2, telling us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then again in verse 25, talking about his love for the church, it says he gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ is a, a faithful, our faithful bridegroom, the husband who has gone into heaven, after giving himself for us, who, who rules over all things as eternal king, and who looks at us, his bride on earth, with a desire to, to give us what we need to sustain us, to enrich our lives with his gifts. We confess that although then we are united, we are a part of Christ, he is in heaven and we are on earth. And in that way we are like a family. Believers are like a family waiting at home for the reunion with the traveling family member. We know that our separation is only temporary. We know that being separate will not destroy the relationship. But on the other hand, there is a very important difference where the comparison falls away. It's not exactly like a husband or a wife who is traveling. You see, although we want to always walk closer to one another in our families as husband and, and wife, we don't expect this closeness to grow when we are apart. Telephone, video calls, and emails, they, 
They work to maintain relationships, but they are not a good way or a good means to deal with, with problems, with, with sins or perhaps with feelings of guilt or any spiritual matters of the heart that deepen the relationship. If that comes up when one of us is traveling, we say, well, we'll deal with that when we're back together, when we, when we get home. And so on this point, that the relationship with Jesus Christ is different. It's different than any relationship that we may have on earth with a traveling loved one because it's possible to grow closer to him, grow closer to Jesus Christ even when his body is in heaven. When our feelings of guilt for our sinfulness create a, a distance that actually makes us feel worse than the physical distance, we can know that although Jesus Christ is not here with us physically, he is able to strengthen us, to nourish us, and to make us grow. And he does that through the sacrament of Lord's Supper. And as we get bogged down by this fallen world, and we want to, we long to walk closer with our ascended Lord. Even though he is in heaven and we are on earth, he gives us what we need to, to strengthen the relationship. In fact, that is why he ascended into heaven as the first fruits of the harvest, so that we could grow more. He doesn't leave us as orphans. That's what he said to, to us, to his disciples. I don't leave you as orphans. He also doesn't simply just maintain the relationship with his church by touching base once in a while in a, in a phone call or in an email. The Lord's Supper just isn't a, 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 a hey, remember that uh, Jesus is up there in heaven. But he enriches us through the meal, through the sacrament. He enriches us by giving us his spirit and his word by giving us a, a living faith and a rich peace through the sacrament of Lord's Supper, through which he, he builds us up. He strengthens the bond that we have with him. And we actually even experience what Calvin called a mystical union with him. There's a coming together. We have reminders of this relationship Christ is in heaven, we are in earth. There is a, an existing relationship, although he is not here with us physically anymore. At the same time, since he is not with us physically, since we cannot see him with our eyes or, or embrace him with our arms, we need to focus on remembering him, not forgetting who he is for us, and to us. Forgetting is so common. It's amazing how quickly we often forget. We can even be living with someone and there could be a thousand wonderful good things that happen and one bad thing and we forget the, the thousands of good things that were done. Very forgetful causes bitterness. Forgetfulness causes an emotional distance, even unfaithfulness. But then see what our Lord Jesus says to us before he goes to heaven as he's instituting this supper. 
He says what we confess, the words of institution, it's in Lord's Day, the question and answer 77, which is simply a quotation of 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 25. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Not only then are we to remember what he has done in the past, but we are to be reminded and assured of the beauty and benefits of the relationship that we have with him right now. So what should we remember about our husband in heaven? What should we remember about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is in heaven? Jesus Christ specifically mentions that he wants his bride, his church, to remember his sacrifice on their behalf. Like a husband boarding an airplane will tell his wife to, to remember that he loves her, so Christ, just before he ascended into heaven, he said to the church, remember my sacrifice. Remember my self-sacrificial love. And then he gave two signs so that we could keep that sacrifice in the center of our lives. He gave bread and he gave wine. The church was instructed by the bridegroom to continue doing what he did with them on the night he was betrayed when he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. The bride would always be reminded, would always remember that his body was broken for them, for us. They were also to take a cup, the cup, and remember both how his blood was shed for them and also how that brings us into the, the heavenly banquet the heavenly joy and glory. The bread and the wine are reminders of our blessed Savior's love for us. He taught us to understand that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded and assured of his hearty love and faithfulness towards us. It is a sure pledge that he has given his body and shed his blood for us, Otherwise, we would have suffered eternal death. He nourishes and refreshes our hungry and thirsty souls with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life. As certainly as this bread is broken before our eyes and this cup is given to us and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. And the Lord Jesus spoke of the new covenant in his blood. We see that also in the words of institution, the new covenant in his blood. His blood is the seal of a new relationship with God in him. Christ Jesus reminds us of the peace that we have with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He, he says to his bride who is on earth, he says, remember that through me you have peace with the creator of heaven and earth. Remember that I am going up ahead of you to prepare a place for you in my Father's home. And so the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, they remind us that Jesus Christ, the true bread, 
And the true wine is the only protector, the only provider. He is a husband who lets us keep feasting even while he is away. In fact, he strengthens us, he nourishes us while he is in heaven and we are here on earth. And so our relationship grows stronger. The gospel comfort of the sacrament of Lord's Supper is that he did not leave us alone with his divinity and his majesty and his grace and his spirit. He is never absent from us. Unlike a traveler who actually leaves his family behind and is gone physically and emotionally, Jesus Christ, who is in heaven, has, has filled us with his spirit, with his word. And the sacrament of Lord's Supper reminds us of, of that union, how close we are to him. It's a foretaste. We're actually lifted up and we can, we can see what our situation is really is like before the Father in heaven. That's an experience we can have here on earth while we wait for his return. There's some requirements as well. We don't participate passively in this relationship. The bride of Christ is not like a selfish wife that demands words of comfort and encouragement from her husband, even though she, she never shows the same love back to him. Those who participate in the Holy Supper have faith in the work of Christ. They have a great desire to remain faithful to their husband who gave himself up for her. The Catechism makes it clear that the Lord's Supper affects us emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. It is more than just a superficial act of eating bread and wine. That's why we ask in the question here, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? I don't know if there are visitors in our midst this afternoon for the, the first time. Uh, but if you're new to the Christian faith, this, this quotation of Jesus' words may actually sound a little gruesome. What are you guys talking about? Eating his body, drinking his, his blood. But if you look back to the question before, you can see that the question is, what does it mean to eat and drink the, the symbols of his body and blood? The Catechism is repeating the way that the Lord Jesus himself spoke in, in John 6. And the question is, what is the deeper meaning of making use of the means of grace? What are you actually doing when you sit down at the Lord's Supper table and, and eat some bread and drink some wine? Well, we confess that the Lord's Supper only has meaning when we truly believe that Jesus Christ, the glorious bridegroom, bring, uh, brings his bride benefits. The requirements, or perhaps it's better to say the evidence, that you belong at the Lord's 
supper table as Christ's bride is your faith, your, your love, and your trust. The relationship with Christ is first. The benefits come after. You can't be strengthened in the faith if you do not have faith. Bread and wine cannot magically cure you. When there are discussions about who may come to the table of the Lord, we'll, we'll look at that in, in an upcoming Lord's Day as well, an upcoming sermon as well. This is the, the starting point. And that's why we have the self-examination before we participate in the Lord's Supper. It's a self-examination to see what we are, what's in our hearts, what we think about Jesus Christ. If it's just words, if it's just fluff, or if we really do trust in him and love him. It comes straight out of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, that a man must examine himself, a person must examine himself, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the warning is clear. Whoever, therefore, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And he who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. You can see, brothers and sisters, the requirements that the Lord is, is placing on his bride. The bride, to have this assurance of unity with Christ, must truly live, must truly love, must truly Believe in Jesus Christ. And we see there is no difference between those who reject Christ and may not or, or will not participate in the Lord's Supper and those who participate in the Lord's Supper even though they have rejected the Lord in their hearts. That's why every Sunday and the week before and then again on the, on the day of the celebration, we, we look at ourselves, we say, do I have that sincere intention? Do I recognize who I am? Do I live by faith in Jesus Christ? And do I show this in word and deed? And if I do, the declaration the gospel is marvelous. All our sins are forgiven in the blood of Jesus Christ. We may be fully assured that no sin or weakness that remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. The true bride of Christ Jesus who participates in the Lord's Supper and is reminded of the love of Jesus Christ for her. She does so with sincerity, with humility, with love. Remembering what a blessing it is that her husband in heaven is pouring out these riches upon her. You could say upon us. The same spirit who lives in Christ as the head 
also lives in us as his body. You can see that other picture of the unity, the union between Christ and his church also in our confession. We forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. The same spirit in Christ is the spirit within us. And he brings the bride in ever closer unity to her bridegroom. He makes the bride love her husband more and more. He makes you love Christ Jesus more and more. That you see his riches, that you, you grab on to his riches every day, that you, you look forward to life eternal, that you, you live with a smile on your face because of the righteousness of Christ for you and in your place. You rejoice not in your circumstance, you rejoice in the Lord, Jesus Christ, who gives us perfect peace, the loving husband who never leaves us. So as the bride gathers, celebrates the Lord's Supper, there is this anticipation. We're made stronger. Our relationship to Christ in heaven is made stronger. But like a wife or a husband who, who eagerly awaits for the return of his or her partner, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's even a, a hymn we sing, until he comes. The Lord's Supper is a, is a bridge from today to the future. It, it brings the future for us today as a, as a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised. And so we look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. The Lord Jesus talked about that in Mark 14. That's why we, the text we were considering as we walked in, it was on the screen, let us rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. As Christ's bride, as his church, we are, we are looking forward to that eternal marriage feast. The bridegroom has told us that the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the church which is his body, will come down out of heaven to take residence on the new heaven and the new earth. And then you read it. And she will be prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, washed clean in the blood of Christ. What hope, what expectation. And how we long for this perfect peace and this purity without stain or without wrinkle, exactly what our Lord has promised us. We are motivated by our love for Christ to participate in the sacrament of Lord's Supper, to receive that confirmation and to think about that day when we will sit beside him physically in the kingdom of God. Take our place at the table when all uncertainty caused by guilt and sins will be taken away. For everything we did on the earth, every time we tasted the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, every time we were lifted up to the throne room of our almighty God to have a foretaste of, of his glory, to, to have a foretaste of our Savior, 
experiencing his presence with us through the sacrament, every celebration pointed us forward to this moment, the marriage feast of the Lamb, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we forever live and be governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Amen.